It's midnight. What are you kids still doing up? But, Dad, why are you still up? As a canter of banter. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Very kind reception. Thanks, everyone. Uh, good morning to everyone at home, everyone here at the station. Um, good morning around the world, uh, World Cup fans, World Cup fever. Wow, we're into the round of 16 now. We're down to the business end, the pointy end. Iran, Saudi Arabia, they're both eliminated now, but only two Middle Eastern countries left, France and England. Tonight we got uh, Switzerland and, and Sweden. Not a good night for neutrals, um, but luckily you got a decanter of banner to entertain yourself for the next two hours to make up for what that match probably will be. Um, very dry. Now, I'm wearing my fantastic new trench coat. When I first bought this uh, trench coat, I, I thought, wow, I looked in the mirror, I thought I was so cool. I was like, oh, I got style. I got style. And I couldn't wait to show my girlfriend and she broke up with me a week later. And then I showed my friends and they were like, hey, a pedophile called. He wants his trench coat back. You know, they were saying, it's a, that's a pedophile coat. You're wearing a pedophile coat. And I was like, ah, cheers, guys. Oh, man, it's great, to have, it's great to have good mates. And they were like, pedo, pedo, pedo. And so there I was tonight riding my push bike down, down the hill. And some police, a police car puts its lights on. They cross over to the wrong side of the road and they pull up alongside me. And they say, hey, mate, how you going? And I say, oh, hello, guys. Old friends, how are you? And um, they say, oh, can we see some ID, you know? We're just trying to get to know some local people in the community. Can we just see some ID, eh? And I go, oh, yeah, no worries. Um, let's get to know each other. And and they say, so what are you up to, mate? And I say, oh, look, i got, I got a radio show just down there at uh, Fortunable Z. And they say, yeah. And how, how long? And I said, oh, just until 2 a.m. they said, oh, not very long. And I said, well, a lot of people complain that it's far too long. Um, and then eventually they look me up and down, they, 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 they cruise off, and I go, even they think I'm a pedophile. They're like, what's a fellow like that, wearing a trench coat like that, riding around at 11 o'clock at night for? Um, put the lights on, let's collect another pedophile. But um, why does it smell like wet sock in here? It smells like wet sock in here. Ah! There's a wet sock in here. Anyway, so basically I was, um, I was uh, in an Uber not long ago. We were driving uh, to uh, New Farm Park. It was a mate's birthday drinks. I think it's rather easy to organise. It sounds pretty easy. Birthday drinks in a park. Basically, all you have to do is say what time we meet at the park and then get there and drink. That's pretty simple. Birthday drinks in a park. But not with my mate, Mabbit. Um, he, he makes a Facebook event, step one, um, going very well. He says, 2 p.m. Basically, um, myself and my mate, Longy, we're, we're, we're only leaving home about 3 p.m. And I'm feeling terrible. I'm going, oh, we're going to get there. This is, he blows out the candles and, um, you know, his ice cream cake's going to have melted in the sun because he's been waiting for us. And um, so we, we, we do get there, the new farm park, and we're rolling around and and you, you know, it's quite an effort carrying a carton around. It's it's a big park, guys. This you know, this is no Laffa Park in Tawong, um, most notably uh, Brisbane's worst park. 
This is New Farm Park. It's quite a sizable uh, park, uh, a park of very great girth. It's a very satisfying park. And we're walking around. Eventually, we see our mate Jacob. There he is. He's sitting on a park bench with a carton of beer having a cigarette. We go, oh, what are you, where, is Mabbit around here? He says, no, I'm the first one here. I've called Mabbit. Um, he hasn't even left his house yet. So there's Jacob sitting by himself. He's, an hour, he's actually an hour late for the birthday drinks in New Farm Park, yet he's been sitting here an hour um, with a carton of beer on a park bench having a cigarette. And I said, what if that girl you like from uni walks past as you're sitting here with a carton of beer smoking a cigarette and you've already opened a beer and she walks past and goes, oh, hi, Jacob. And you're like, oh, hey, hey, Stacey. And then she says, what are you doing here? Having a beer, smoking a cigarette with a carton sitting next to you. And you go, oh, I'm just waiting for my mate. He's going to, we're having, um, you know, I'm actually five minutes late. And so I'm sure he's around here somewhere. And then she goes, oh, cool. And then an hour later, an hour later, she's done her walk and she's walking back. And you're still sitting there with a carton of beer, about six beers deep, finishing off your pack of cigarettes. And she goes, where's your mate? And you're like, oh, he's coming. I promise. Well, anyway, that luckily, I don't think that happened. But uh, we had we had an Uber driver on the way, and I, I've got a bit of a dual personality, guys. And, and one of my personalities is Ashton Kutcher, and I love to punk people. People just get punked sometimes when I'm in their Uber. And we, uh, myself and my mate Ben, we pretended that we were from Adelaide, and we were like, oh, we're going to New Farm Park. We'll go there. And um, it, was, it seemed like he was about to head over the, the story bridge. And so my mate had to go, oh, mate, are you sure this is the right way? I mean, I, I, I uh, just had that gut feeling because I'm from Adelaide. And basically that, that was a small that, – that's one reason why you should never pretend like you're from a foreign city or country when you're in an Uber or a taxi because they'll find ways of taking you the scenic route, giving you a little bit of a tour guide – as they say, on the way to your destination. But uh, we, we posed the question to this fellow. He, we said, Do we, are, there, are there many homeless people in Brisbane? And he said, oh, yes, quite quite a lot of homeless in, in Brisbane. And he said, what about in Adelaide? And we said, no, no homeless people in Adelaide. We used to have a lot. But then one night, the council just came around with a, uh, lots of sacks and they just put the homeless people in the sacks and put them in the back of a truck and then drove overnight to Sydney and then just left it and just emptied the sacks in a, in a park in a park in inner city Sydney. And, um, and he was like, wow, oh my God. And, and he was, he was sort of right. There are a lot of homeless people in Brisbane. I'm, I'm very familiar with the CBD. I spent a lot of time uh, in the CBD and, you know, live in the inner city. And uh, there is a very, uh, vibrant homeless community in Brisbane, um, and uh, I, I, you know, I actually saw a new one the other day. Uh, th- I, th- this fellow really stood out, and, and I saw him like three times over the course of weeks. So I knew that he was sort of new on the the Brisbane homeless scene, and he he had big earmuffs on his head. And one day I saw him up on Musgrave Road. I was riding my push bike down. I think it was on Sunday afternoon, and, and I went past. And I was, I guess I was moving at some pace and I think I startled him a little bit, but I went past and I, and I was, I meant this in the most friendly way possible. I said, hey mate, and I had a big smile. And then he just looked at me, he was shocked. Looked like I'd just, you know, 
looked like I'd just beaten a family member up in front of him, and 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 he said, "You should be in jail." And I thought that was, I thought that was actually quite ominous. I thought, "What does he know that I've done? Is it is it my trench coat?" Um, but anyway, uh, I'm a I'm a big advocate for greater diversity in the Brisbane homeless community. I look around and all I see are white males who are homeless in Brisbane. I'd like to see greater diversity because um, it's a very vibrant homeless scene. But, yes, it's not good to see only white males. Anyway, so the Switzerland-Sweden uh, game is underway. Let's get a quick score update there. Yep, nil all. The game is still nil all. Um, anyway, let's talk about Facebook ads. Um, a lot of people get very perturbed by Facebook ads and the, the misuse of their data. So let's put some creepy music on in the background. Um, so people have been saying... You know, Facebook, how dare they misuse my data? I take privacy very seriously. Privacy is a human right. Oh, I need to update my address and relationship status for Facebook. Um, you know, getting offended, that sort of thing, is a little bit like walking around naked in the street and yelling at people saying, Don't look, you perverts! I'm entitled to walk around with my nipples out. Anyway, so when I get my Google ads or my Facebook ads, they always send me about elderly singles or, uh, you know, sales on shovel, shovels and duct tape. But um, I don't know about you guys, but um, these are tailored ads. What they do, they, they, they get the information from what you're searching on Google or what you've liked on Facebook and they're giving you tailored ads and it's making ads more efficient. Look, they're not stealing. They're not stealing your credit cards here and making purchases for you. It's just improving ads. At the end of the day, things that you've been inclined to uh, purchase um, th- from seeing a commercial, right? Um, some of those things can turn out to be good things. You see an ad for vitamin C. You go out and get vitamin C. All of a sudden, you have a diet very rich in vitamin C because of that ad. You need to, next time you see that ad, you have to take your, tip your hat to that ad. Um, so basically, um, if you really, if you did really want privacy and you don't want anyone to steal your data, you don't get Facebook. You um, you just go around using different payphones. You see, um, one of the one of the great one of the great internet saves of all time. There was a Yahoo Ask question, and um, it, this one goes back to 2009. It's one of the greats. And a lady posts on Yahoo Ask. She says, "My husband recently updated to Google Chrome." The new tab shows the new most visited sites. How correct is that information? Could a site appear in your most visited sites uh, from an error? And, um, and then a person said, oh yes, this is a known issue. If you have adware, it can try to post incorrect history there to trick you into visiting sites. Usually these are porn, casinos or cheap knockoff materials. Make sure to update your antivirus and be careful what you install. Um, and basically, what's obviously happened here is the ladies found a lot of um, uh, pornographic material in the in the most visited sites feature, and she's wondering how correct that information is. And this this person who answered the question did one of the great saves of all time. Um, one of the one of the great blokes of all time. 
mind you, oh, you know, maybe not. You know, as I've always said, there's no such thing as a white lie. Um, but I don't want to go into the details of that now, but just briefly, when you say a white lie, even if you think there's no negative, uh, or maybe there's no negative side effects to the lie, or maybe you even think there's a positive side effect to the lie, um, what, you inter- what you're doing is you're introducing inconsistency into your life, you're confusing your brain. So when someone asks you a question, you don't just go, how do I phrase this? You're, the first question is, do I say the truth? Um, very bad for the human brain and it does lead to irritable bowel syndrome. Now, so you get these um, tailored ads and basically <clears throat> it, it, there, there, are, there are people who are, take their privacy very seriously. I've got a mate whose uh, girlfriend, um, I thought, you know, maybe I'll just add her on Facebook. We, you know, we've, we, I've met her a million times and, and I, I went to add her as a friend and, and there were like no mutual friends and basically her profile was super private and her profile picture was like her back. Um, like she had her back to the camera. And I thought that is a very strange um, use of the profile picture uh, function. Um, it was a misuse of the function. Uh, unless you have a very recognisable back, like a giant a giant hairy mole on your back and people go, oh, there she is, oh God. Um, but... Anyway, so I, I basically, I don't know how to tell him that she's obviously in witness protection. She's obviously one of those people that changes their name um, because they've testified in some mafia case and they have to move cities and, and change their name and have a very private Facebook profile. Um, I don't know how to tell him that she's in witness protection. One day he's just going to be lying there, uh, cuddling her at night going, this is perfect, life's perfect. And then some crazy Japanese yakuza is going to burst into the bedroom holding a golf club, going, "This is for this is for Big Frankie." Um, but anyway, Edward Snowden once said that not caring about your right to privacy because you've got nothing to hide is like not caring about the right to free speech because you've got nothing to say. Um, I think Edward should just stick to what he's good at, aka being a traitor. Then I came up with memorable quotes because they're not quite the same thing. In fact. Uh, if your right to privacy is breached, it's actually it's a good thing for you. Your 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 right to to freedom of speech. You know, um, more more people are listening to what you've got to say. <laughs> more people than you ever th- could imagine are listening to what you've got to say. It's great for the the free speech. But um, basically, he's one of the most overrated people of all time, Edward Snowden. He's uh, flat out a traitor, and and yet um, Hollywood glorified him in a film. Um, like Hollywood just can't help themselves. They they glorify a clear clear traitor to their nation. It's like making Sam Dastyari the musical, um, making him out like he's some great guy. No, no, no. He's just a traitor. That's all. Um, he says, oh, he, he he's working for I don't know the CIA or something, and he leaks all this information um, to the world. He says, the U.S. government has been keeping a record of all our phone calls. And everyone's like, oh my God, you mean they've been recording all our conversations? And he goes, oh, no, no, just um, which numbers are calling which numbers? And and we're like, oh my God. So the, the duration of the calls and who's calling who? And and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, no, just the numbers and who's calling who. Um, so, and, and we're like, oh, is, is that all? Like, is that, is that, 
is such a is that such an egregious breach of our privacy? It's kind of understandable, really. And and the great irony of all, he is a walking uh, postmodern artwork, Edward Snowden. Um, he 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 flees to Russia. Um, that is one of the most ironic things ever. He go he says, "Oh, the USA has been spying on its own people." Um, I'm going to move to Russia to make a, a big point. Uh, look, in Russia, um, spying is like their arts degree. Everyone's got one. Everyone's, everyone can can spy on cue. Uh, you know, it's like in primary school in, in in Russia, they ask, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And people say, "Oh, I want to be a spy." And you go, "Why?" And you go, "Because mum and dad were spies, and their mum and dads were spies." Look, in Russia. They have women in spying breakfasts. They have um, spy unions. You know, they argue for you know not, we're not going to go spying unless there's a pie warmer on site. They're very tough those spy unions. But anyway, so you cannot script this irony that Edward Snowden flees to Russia. Um, but um, this is it's quite old news, really. Um, this happened quite a while ago. But uh, a decanter of banter is on the scene. Breaking news. Edward Snowden has leaked the private information of the US government. So basically, um, you know, this is complaining about, um, you know, your, your, your right to privacy being breached and then fleeing to Russia is a little bit like, you know, um, exposing the gender pay gap in Australia and then fleeing to Saudi Arabia. It's a little bit like um, it's a little bit like complaining that uh, you found a, a news source to be incredibly biased towards the left wing, um, despite being publicly funded, and then fleeing to the set of Q and A at the ABC headquarters. It's a little bit like. Um, complaining about hyper-violent drug-trafficking celebrity chefs and then going to hide out in George Columbaris's place in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> poor George, he, could, he really cops it on this show. But look, um, I just think that to glorify a man who so ironically um, and, and uh, so ill-advisedly breaches... Um, you know your na- your your national secrets to the world, um, and then he's glorified in a film. I think the entire cast and crew of that Edward Snowden film are traitors. And I think what they should do, like like back in the old days with pirates, they should um, just have them hanging at, at, at the airport in, in, say, Hollywood. And, and so when you get there, you know, like when you used to sail your boat into the harbour and you'd see the pirates hanging there and it'd be the warning to all the pirates. Don't go pirating around here. Don't go illegally downloading music. Just have these... um. Have these have this cast and crew there going, these guys glorified a traitor and they are traitors and this is what happens to them. And um, I think to some extent you need to bring, bring back a little bit of barbarism. It's like if they had a... To the, at the entrance to Brunswick Mall, they just had um, six tattooed, um, very muscular men just hanging, just hanging there and with, with little wooden signs saying they started fighting on the dance floor. I think you'd see a very stark reduction in the amount of fights in our Brisbane clubs. There'd be people in there and they'd know that if they start fights, they're going to get hung up in the, in the Brunswick Mall. So there'll be a bit, you know, oh... 
Oh, you know, sorry, uh, I step, I step on your foot. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't, I didn't mean to get my foot in the way there, uh, sir. And it's, uh, I, I'm more sorry. I'll get you a drink. No, 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 no. I'm more sorry for 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 putting my foot in the way. I'll get you a bigger drink. And then, hey, are you being serious? Um, you, you, uh, did nothing wrong. I'm getting you. Are you, are you effing serious? I'll you up. You, I, I, yeah. And then, um, you get, uh. Yeah, and then the police officers are coming around going, all right, fellas, yeah, get in the gallows. But so going all the way back to the beginning um, of, of this whole thing, it's, um, it's all about I've been getting a lot of Facebook ads, a lot of Facebook ads for a new dating app. Um, yeah, Facebook is very clever, very switched on. Um, a new Facebook ad called um, The Inner Circle. The Inner Circle, it's... Um, uh, obviously advertised to the inner circle of Brisbane first. And <laughs> and um, basically, I think it just sorts the wheat from the chaff a little bit, the blubber from the box jellyfish, uh, the strippers from the escorts, and they call it selective dating. And it leads me to my crazy thought of the day. Uh, Sandra, can we get the theme, please? <laughs> No, it's not just a karaoke version of Crazy, the, the hit by Niles Barkley from 2006. This is our very own theme to Crazy Thought of the Week. Now, today's Crazy Thought of the Week is, is the, your partner's job really that important um, when you're wondering, oh, do I like this person? Do I date this person? Is the job really that important? Because here we have the inner circle, and it's obviously concerned a lot of people to the extent where they needed to make a whole new dating app Tinder, Bumble, Grinder, these weren't good enough. They were, we were mixing with the common people. Oh, all the effort of swiping left for all these common people. It was I was straining the muscle in my left thumb. Anyway, so we, we've sorted the weed out from the chaff. You have to be a young and up-and-coming professional in by invite only to get onto the inner circle um, because it's scientifically proven that young professionals have bigger breasts and firmer buttocks than baristas, authors, and teachers combined. Oh, young professionals. Oh, I wouldn't have it any other... Once you go a young professional, you can't go back. Um, why? Why does a job matter? I bet it... So, you, 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 you meet someone and you go, Oh, man, I, I met a great girl. Um, hot. Uh, you know, she's an accountant. And you go, Oh, cool, man. That's, that's like a really important job. Um, basically, this means they're going to be... If they've got an important job and they're earning a lot of money, they're highly likely they're going to be more stressed, right? Um, you're going to have less time to hang out with them. They're going to be working hard. And they, they sometimes have a bit of an ego when they're in a high-paying job. So it's like a little bit like... Um, it actually could be detrimental to your relationship that they have a really good job like that. Um, but I get that you can make inferences from someone's job. You meet someone and you can... You can make some presumptions about who they are based on their job, which is probably where the job can be perhaps relevant. You mean you meet someone and they go, oh, I'm a labourer, and you go, oh, well, they're probably uh, tough, chiselled hands, blokey, probably can't spell that well, um, bad grammar. Then you meet someone they go, oh, hi, I'm a teacher. And you go, oh, well, you're probably good with kids. Um... You probably can't hold a stimulating conversation because you deal with dumbass kids all day. Um, but you're probably a very kind and patient person. Um, and then you meet 
uh, a celebrity chef and you can sort of presume that they've got a fake French accent, um, they'll steal your money and they probably can't cook at all. Oh, and then you meet someone and they go, oh, I'm a, I'm a community radio host of South East Queensland's uh, most controversial 12 to 2am radio show. And you go, well, they're probably a bloody legend. Um, so your job does matter to some extent, but only to, the, only to the extent that you can make presumptions about their character. The job of itself isn't something that makes someone more attractive, in my opinion. Well, that's my crazy thought. Anyway, now... You might happen to recall the short-lived Orkinflower band moving to Melbourne. They were very aptly named. Um, the guitarist, uh, well, the, the 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 bassist, sorry, he was he moved to Melbourne, in, and at the during the the band's tenure, he was planning to move to Melbourne. And um, the guitarist and lead singer, well, he went to Ukraine, so um, moving to Ukraine also would have worked. But the drummer, um, he's here. And uh, he's me, actually. And when I was in this band, we had one song, but we actually had another song. So we had two songs. And the, t- the second song I actually wrote, and it would have been one of the great songs. It was it was one of the great songs. I have no harm in saying that. I, I have no shame in bragging because we're all friends here. Um, so it's not bragging. It's just um, saying something. And and uh, I actually wrote it one morning while ironing, and I quickly wrote this down. I said, this this could be one of the great songs if only my bassist wasn't moving to Melbourne and my lead singer and guitarist moving to the Ukraine. And um, so like, <laughs> good things always happen when you iron. You, you write songs, you burn your index finger. So basically what this song was trying to say was that... Um, Everyone says, oh, everyone has this dream of love. They say, love, it's organic. Oh, there's love at first sight. They say, oh, everyone has their special one, uh, their their life partner. It's destiny, right? But often what you associate with love um, is strictly related to the very person themselves. So if someone said, oh, I'm in love with this person because I've got lots of money, you go, oh, well, that's not them them themselves. That's, you know, that's uh, one of their possessions, really. Um so that's not love. They say, oh, I'm in love with them for their looks. And sometimes people go, oh, that's shallow. That's not love if you just love them for their looks. You know, that's not them. That's just their appearance, not their substance. And so there are very strict rules when it comes to what true love is and genuine love. Yet people um, will say, oh, you know, oh, I'm really falling for this person. You know, they're... That you know they have a great job. Sometimes, sometimes a job is part of it, and and another thing is like you you'll meet people and you go oh I kind of liked her but you know, she's got a kid she's got a kid right and that's that's thinking pragmatically. Um, love, true love shouldn't be pragmatic. You shouldn't think about that because the fact that she has a kid isn't really important to who she actually is, and. Um, and you can't really make a judgment call there. You can't make judgments there because most fellas uh, who get around anyway, uh, there would have been at one point or another where they could have potentially have created a kid at some point um, in their life. Uh, you know, I, I'm here on behalf of Fortunable Z saying, you know, don't be silly, wrap your willy. Um, as my mum likes to remind me whenever she uh, jobs by, if it's not on, it's not on. And she is, of course, referring to condoms. Um, so, but the, the, it, most blokes will tell you that there hasn't been an occasion in which they could have, you know, uh, had a, a child of their own. Um, and so, you can't exactly make 
judgment calls about a lady who happens to have a kid at the at the you know an age that that isn't convenient to you. And so basically, um, uh, you know, basically in this song that I wrote, I said, you know, uh, don't buy the winery and sell the kids if you want to find love at 26. And it was all about, um, and and then the refrain in the bridge is, I thought love was not pragmatic. I thought love was automatic. And um, it's a very poignant song. And as I said, if only my band stuck around Brisbane, it would have been one of the great songs and you'd be getting uh, some notching up some big numbers in the, the triple Z, uh, four triple Z uh, hot 100 on New Year's Day. And I'll play that for you uh, just briefly. It's it's a simply phenomenal song. Yeah, we just did the lyrics. Yeah, I thought love was automatic Yeah, that'll do. Um, so yeah, that that was that was the one of the greatest songs of the uh, uh, late 2017 underground Orkin Flower garage rock scene. Uh, moving to Melbourne there with um, Automatic Love and basically uh, very wise words from myself there. Um, so pack your toothbrush in your travelling bag as soon as your wife's tits start to sag. Don't buy the winery and sell the kids if you want to find love. At 26, very wise words there indeed. Well, here's um another local legend, Hatchy with Sugar and Spice. You're listening to Portugal Z at a candor of banter. The the main talking point is that Israel Falau was sin bin. No way could he have been sin bin. That was not a sin bin offence. And um maybe the the, the referees were just um enjoying the irony of having uh, Israel, the devout Christian. You know, being sin-binned. Um, sin-binned. It's a pun. Look, the whole point is, um, I actually thought it was kind of rubbing salt in the wound, really. I've been inappropriate to have him sin-binned and placed in a micro-club with rainbow strobe lights and uh, surrounded by gyrating, leather-clad men. But uh, thankfully... One of our a decanter of banter sporting correspondents was there at the ground, and we have some leaked audio from the sin bin uh, that Israel was uh, placed in in that micro club. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. 
therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So do not fear. So it was, it was obviously uh, quite confronting, but then about... Ten minutes later, the the sin bin had finished, and and uh, Israel could go out and, and rejoin his teammates. But uh, Israel was not to be found. It had been ten minutes, and and the the referees were, were were saying, "Come back on, Israel!" And no one could find him. And so our a decanter band, a sporting correspondent, was actually there at the ground, and he saw that Israel was still in the micro club, and it wasn't exactly appearing to to leave. No. I don't want to go. This is my happy place. They're the only ones who understand me. Great Scott, it's Hot Dub Time Machine, South East Queensland's favourite time travelling DJ. Thanks for stopping by 2018 to do the interview, Tom. No worries, Harry. Good to be here. Do, do you mind if I use your real name, or do you, do you prefer the moniker? No, of course not. I like Tom, a.k.a. Hot Dog Time Machine. Okay. It's all fun. Fantastic. Moniker it is. Now, Hitler had the idea for the Holocaust after getting rejected from a Jewish art school in Vienna. <laughs> Where did you get the idea for doing a hot dub time machine from? <laughs> Uh, I got the idea from, I don't know, man, it's just like, I've got a really boring story for it, I was just like, I needed to, I wanted to, I've been doing the DJing with video things for a while, but the idea I had before it was called like Tom's Video Dancerama, so it wasn't quite as catchy a title, and, um, but I really was a big fan of this, of a Queensland, a busy DJ called Sampology, right. so I kind of like was doing a similar thing to what he used to do, but then I thought, no, I'm going to make something with a bit of a story, and, and then, um, where I sort of make a time traveling one, and when a mate of mine said I should call a hot dog time machine, so um, it's not quite as interesting story as Hitler's. I'm sure that guy had some great stories, but um, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, no, well, I'm, I'm sure it's a great uh, change of career path. I mean, what, what were you doing before you became prof- a professional time traveling DJ? Yes, I was a uh, sound designer for TV shows. So I used to do like if you ever watch McLeod's Daughters, and like the horses went nay. That was that was my work. The sheep in the background, I used to pick them. Under really, I used to like make the gunshots and stuff if anyone died. The one with the razors, that was fun. I got to make all the nice kind of sounds. That's actually, but that's an interesting job unto itself, mate. You could have left the, the change of career for one of the, the law clerks to become a time traveling DJ or something. Yeah, that's, man. So, I mean, the idea of hot dub time machine is quite a simple concept. I mean, it's essentially just playing songs in a temporally chronological order. Have you, I mean, have you copyrighted this idea? Because you are travelling around the world doing this. Um, well, we, we, I own the, trade, the trademark hot dub time machine, the name. But beyond that, it's kind of, um, I think other people have put songs in chronological order before, but, um, and there are other people who, who do it around the world. And, um, but no one it seems to kind of um, come near to, the, to my thing, which is bloody great, because it is a very simple concept, and, and there are parts of the world that I only visit every now and then, but, and so people do try and copy it and stuff, but the sheer amount of work that goes into making all the videos and constructing the thing and is, is quite a lot. People, um, so yeah, it's, it kind of, it's kind of so hard to copy that I don't think... Um, oh, yes. To, to, to say that a, a, a DJ uh, concert is just uh, listening 
is like saying a religion is just a reading group. There's a whole lot more going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, man. So, yeah, I, I, do, I do do the video. So, like, if, if I want to play a song, then I have to cut a video to, to match it. So, I'll, for every song, I've got, like, about 300 songs in, in my, my pool of things that I can pull on. And for each of those, I've gone in and made a video. Generally, just, like, ripped rip the video clip and then put some titles over the top. But, like, yeah, I think I, that makes it, that's kind of one of the things that makes it really immersive. Um, party that stands out because like when you're sitting there just you know you want something more to look at than some guy just playing music so. right yes and, and your slogan is best party ever and I got a blowjob at a party once so I'm definitely buying a, a <laughs> ticket to your concert <laughs> whatever you want it to be man no, but that title I got like in Edinburgh it was when I first went over there in Scotland and, and I did a run of a show at the Edinburgh Fringe and I started off, no one was coming. I kind of, I literally DJed on street corners, busking, trying to get people to come to the show. DJ and, busking? Uh, by the end, the word got around and, and people all came along and I used to have this thing at the very end of the show where I put a visual on, on the screen and say, you know, was this the best party or the best party ever? And um, at the end of the show, everyone was just chanted best party ever and it was one of the best times of my life. And I thought, oh, well, that's it. From now on, we're the best party ever. Uh, that's that's quite a compliment because I hear that the Scots aren't exactly chillers. <laughs> no, man, they, they, they love to party. They love to sing. It's like the Turkish coming to Australia and saying, best soccer riot ever, you know? It just gives it real <laughs> gravitas. <laughs> totally, man. I went to Sweden a couple of weeks ago, did a few shows over there. And the Swedes, they're, just, they're, they're, they're kind of baffled by it. They have, they, uh, you know, it is very nice, but I'm wearing my good shoes. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't dance, you know. It's just, it, the music's nice. Uh, they don't quite have the abandon that we have. Enough generalizations about the Swedes. Um, when, when, you are, when you are going around to these international countries playing these big gigs, how do the foreigners react to Australian classics like, you know, Horses, You're the Voice, or Strawberry Kisses? <laughs> Mate, uh, you'd be surprised to know that I don't tend to play them when I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> in Sweden. I don't, I don't bust out the brace weight. Um, I'll, I'll uh, look into their culture and, and try to find some uh, some gems that are hidden away that they they might enjoy. Um, yeah, man, there's a little. There's, I try to localize it wherever I go, and if I get a chance to have a break from fun, actually, man, this is a, a good question that I've got for you, and maybe your listeners. If this is over, like I reckon, brace weight. That song, like it had its moment in the song, it had its resurgence, and now it's over. You know what I mean? But every now and then I get someone requesting it and someone incredibly angry when I don't play it. How do you feel about the bracelet? It definitely came back and it and had its Woodstock, and its Woodstock was Spalls, uh, yep, 2017, 2018. And Daryl Braithwaite yep. played there. Horses went off. They played the chorus approximately 27 times. I lost yeah. count there. And, and I think after that... I think that's it now, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, it's like Oasis playing Nebworth in 1996. I mean, where do you go from there? Totally. Well, we've got some fan questions here for you tonight, uh, Tom. Um, oh, cool. Uh, the first one comes from Terry from Balimba. He says, if you had to go back and live in any decade of your choice, which one and why the 60s? Well, mate, well, always. Well, it's not, even, it's not the entire the 60s. It's just the summer of love, the years towards the end. I don't need to live in the early 60s, uh, getting, you know, freaked out about the, you know, the Korean Wars. I don't know that. <laughs> the Summer of Love in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco or in the UK where it was all happening and, you know, getting to some free love and Jimi Hendrix, that's, you know, of course. Yes, people forget that the 60s was actually probably the worst decade for architecture. 
Mate, I, I wasn't aware of that. That's uh, a show that you could possibly do, you know. Hot Dub, um, we, we can make a workshop, a title for it. This is why I get my friends to come up with a title for these, you know, Hot Dub um, House Machine or something like that, where you can go through and talk about the architecture for each decade. And you could have like a little PowerPoint kind of overhead presentation about each decade and um, just, you know, hit it with a couple of songs in the background, mate. And I reckon it's a dead set win for an Adelaide Fringe show. That's awesome, and you could just watch your your fan base diminish before your very eyes. <laughs> yes. Well, the next question comes from Terry from Balimba. Terry asks, have you ever thought of, in one of your shows, going all the way back to the 1600s and going all Mozart in their ass? Absolutely, mate. Definitely. Well, I went and saw um, the presets actually did a thing with the Australian Chamber Orchestra a couple of years ago. For the visit festival down here where they did the entire history they basically started with like the big bang and then like had like kind of old gregorian chants and and uh and it was yeah it was bloody boring to be frank for the first hour or so of it so but it was uh, art it was art pretty, tom mate I, I mean i was there i was i, I brought into it just because the presets were there and i watched them you know open a can of spaghetti but um it was uh yeah it was not great so i'm pretty happy starting 1954 that's uh, that's the year. Yeah, sort of when pop music began, really. Well, Rock Around the Clock came out that year, so that's um, you know, that's when I was first making. It seemed like a logical spot to begin. Yes. So when you when you're going forward in time, do you make sure that no one gets their phones out until the 1990s? Does it make it realistic? <laughs> Definitely, and only fifty one tens and games of snake. No, well, no phone cameras are allowed until um. The year 2000. Actually, I was thinking about that. A friend, I'm, I'm going to put a couple of messages on the screen as people walk in just for the fun of it. I make these countdown videos that, yes. know, for every gig, and I was thinking I'd just have some messages that flash on the screen giving like safety demonstrations. And, and one person, one friend of mine suggested that I put a thing up saying, you know, don't look at your phones during the show. But I, I don't, I'm not into that. I reckon it's okay. You know, people get, a lot of musicians get a bit uptight about people looking at their phones during gigs, but I think people should take it as a compliment. If someone wants to look at that phone and share a picture of your gig, that's a good thing. Well, and most of the time they've paid good money as well. Exactly. You pay for a ticket, you can do whatever you want. If you want to sit there and look at Instagram, go for it. Yes, I once went to a Bernard Fanning gig, and I don't want to blaspheme here. I'm not going to say any bad words about the big fella, but he, he his Don't first song, um, he, it was the day after Leonard Cohen died, and he said, I'm just going to play a Leonard Cohen cover here, guys. Can you just okay. all be completely silent? He demanded silence, and I thought, that's not actually how it works. Yeah, I think it's, when you're demanding things from a crowd, that's always a slippery slope. I prefer to, like, I never, I think it's a bit lame if you're a DJing or you're band, you go, everybody come down the front and dance. You should just be really awesome and make them dance. And in that situation, maybe Bernard should have just gone, this is a song in, member, in, in memory of a great singer. I think Bernard needs to get in the hot dub time machine, go back in time and do it differently. <laughs> Mate, I'd love to meet that guy. What a legend. Yes. So many great songs. So when you're playing Australian shows, do you make sure not to let black people in until the late 60s? <laughs> oh, mate, this is great. I was expecting like a commercial radio uh, um, kind of standard interview, but this is, uh, this is good stuff. <laughs> I, I like that. The white Australia policy. No, I don't like that. It's an awful bloody idea. It was an awful idea to begin with. And definitely doesn't have a place in the show. Yes, and I thought also, perhaps as as time goes on, slowly increase the number of um, uh, Chinese uh, people in the crowd. 
Well, it's, that's a bit of a, yeah, there's no, it's not people who've been in Australia forever. I got friends who's like fourth generation Australian, but like, pretty Chinese. Now, I, I was actually in a club on Friday night and the DJ there um, was having a pretty good time. He took off his shoe and he put his shoe on his hand and he put his shoe up to his ear uh, as a shoe phone, as it were. <laughs> and it made me think, I sort of stood there and stroked my chin, because DJs have sort of become a bit of a saturated market, a lot of people learning to DJ, at least those DJs without flux capacitors. Um, I mean, for example, you've got a, a fellow like Steve Aoki who will throw a wedding yep. cake into the crowd. He'll milk a goat while crowd surfing on an inflatable raft in the crowd, you know. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen a goat one, but yeah. A, a, a DJ sort of challenged to stand out in their own particular way. Oh, definitely. Well, the problem is everyone can do that, mate. I, mean, you've got to, I get a lot of emails asking me to DJ at people's weddings. I'm like, just get your, find your friend who has the best music taste, get them to download a DJ app for their iPhone, and you'll have more fun than you would like, getting, getting me to play there. I think, um, yeah, man, there's so many. DJ is a really difficult thing. Like, you had to go and buy the records, and you had to know the record shops and, you know, put together a set out of those records. So it was a very specialised profession, but... Um, it no longer is that. So, yeah, you've got to stand out. You've got to do something different. I mean, good on you, Steve, for throwing cakes. Well, I actually, I tend to think that, I mean, uh, with the work of Hot Dub Time Machine, I started to realise what exactly it was, Tom. What you're doing is actually a societal comment. It's a social uh, critique. Because here is a world-famous DJ who doesn't actually have his own song. And, I mean, the great oh, Pete yeah. Doherty once said, lose your faith in love and music and the end won't be long. And I kind of disagree. I think Pete Doherty is probably better at heroin than philosophy. Because <laughs> music shouldn't be taken too seriously. Oh, definitely, mate. And uh, I, uh, uh, that's absolutely what I'm all about. Like, I started this thing because I just, I get, I got very bored of seeing bands and DJs who just, like, didn't acknowledge the crowd. Like, I, I, I love techno and I love kind of very very um, high-solution types of electronic music, but the DJs are also boring. They never talk on the mic. They never even acknowledge the crowd. Or you go see, like, a band, and they, oh, I hate it when you, the lead singer finishes a song and he just kind of turns his back on the crowd as they applaud. Just, you know, he gets to have a sip of wine and chat to the drummer, like, stuff that. When I go to a gig, I want it to be the best night of my life. I don't want to pour a night out and, and put them in a show. And, yeah, man, it's... it's, uh, it's Every now and then, there's a little article comes up on a DJ blog about how you can't be a successful DJ without making music anymore and um, I chuckled to myself because somehow it seems to be working out alright yes have you ever thought of making your own song though and then and then releasing it at the end of your set so it's quite literally the most recent song in the world people would hate us no man I have too much respect for musicians I think it's a weird thing that people assume that anyone can make music or that because you can DJ you can make music I like I spent all my time working on my DJing and people who make music are good at that, I'll stick to what I'm good at. It is true that society does work better when everyone specialises at something they're good at. Back to the Nazis here, aren't you, mate? <laughs> when, when the Daft Punk's album, when I, when I was in my first share house in 2013, um, Daft Punk's album dropped and my roommates were really excited to listen to it. And so I said, oh, guys, I'll put it on the speakers. We can all sit around and listen. And basically what I did was I put it on my computer, I played Get Lucky, and then I played, I played um, Miles Davis after that. Ooh. And basically what I was trying to do, was, uh, as they sat around and said, this sucks, or w WTF is this, I said, I paused and I said, this is actually the greatest jazz album of all time. And 
I was trying to catch them out. I was taking music too seriously, Tom. I thought it was my way wow. of saying, you're inferior to me because I appreciate jazz. It's not about Ooh. that. It's about, music's about bringing together, not separating. But you were absolutely correct. You know, that Daft Punk album sucks. Oh, my God, it sucks so hard. I remember that came out in, like, 2013. They had, like, this launch event up in northern New South Wales at some little country town. I imagine all of the... And a whole bunch of Daft Punk fans descended on this country town to be the first people who listened to this album. Much like your friends gathered in the living room. They were there, and they were excited. And then, unfortunately, they, they heard... The actual album, you can just imagine that, that they're with that glow sticks ready to party and rave with Daft Punk, and it just starts slow and then just gets slower and more boring. And I think you did your friends a favour throwing on Miles Davis, <laughs> to be honest, mate. Uh, I think they, they should have put on some Miles Davis out in the bush. Yeah, man. Now let's talk about Hot Dub Wine Machine. It sounds like a, a crappy joke someone said when they were high and everyone laughed and the one sober person said, that's not funny, guys. Um, you changed uh, time with wine and it, you made a fantastic music festival. Yes, yes. Uh, when you say uh, that person at a party, that person is, is my manager, Maz. He very much was, uh, was his idea. He told it to me and my reaction was like, uh, that is a... The dumbest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> and then um, he, we sold about 2,500 tickets in the first days to the Adelaide one. And I was like, oh, no, that's a great idea, mate. No, I am on board. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, it's been, it's been awesome. Turns out it's uh, people do. Turns out young people do want to go to vineyards and um, drink wine and listen to good music. It's not just fans of um, John Farnham and Cindy Lauper. Exactly. Who thought wine and music would go together so well? Yeah. Well, man, there's this weird belief in everyone in the music industry that young people didn't want to go to vineyards. It was the preserve of kind of, you know, your more kind of baby boomerish gigs. Well, that's um, because the only people yeah, who play the vineyards, the only people who play the vineyards are Neil Diamond and Elton John. You know that. Um, <laughs> it may you, you put hot tub time machine out there in the vineyards. The kids will come. The kids will come. Yeah, man. No, it's, and it's been it's just so fun. I miss it, actually, when, it, when it's not on. Like, my, that's one of the reasons I've stopped drinking, though. I kind of miss it, but I don't miss it. It's a, it's a wild time. But it was so fun hanging. And we got Pinyao just as they were kind of breaking out in the first year. And then this year, we had, like, um, Kite String Tangle was a great, busy act. So I really enjoyed hanging out with her. Um, and it turns out the time travelling actually began before they even got there. I had a mate who was on the bus out to the vineyard and he had a, a few too many shardies and he asked the bus driver, can you please just pull over? I need to go to the toilet. And the bus driver turned around, gave him a big smile and said, no, and kept on driving. And Ooh. my mate actually had to use a chamber pot of sorts, go back to the, the 1800s and, and had to wee in a bottle as if it were his personal chamber pot. Well, that's really on the bus driver, isn't it? I mean, I'd, I'd say that's pretty unacceptable behaviour. You've got to give the drunk man some dignity at some point. Um, you're playing a gig on the 6th of July, that's a Friday, at the Tivoli. Yeah, man, the Tiv. I am, like, one of the most iconic, legendary venues in Australia. Definitely blessed to be back there again. It's fantastic. If the film Hot Hot Dub, <laughs> if the film Hot Tub Time Machine is anything to go by, um, then hopefully the show is nothing like the movie. Oh, hey man, the first movie was good. I think it was like a fun kind of throwback to eighties uh, movies. It's aged fairly well, actually, too. Like it was, it was, it was always intended as a kind of like a schlocky eighties 
because there was a whole genre of 80s kind of weird science comedy movies that were, you know, fantastic. Um, so I, I liked the first movie. Yes, well, I I seem to recall not particularly enjoying it, but I did my homework for this interview and I looked up the film, and it turns out it was actually quite well received. In fact, the great Roger Ebert actually gave the film uh, three stars out of out of four, and he said the wow. bottom line is gross out guy comedies open twice a month, and many of them are wretched excesses. Hot Tub Time Machine, which wants nothing more than to be a screwball farce, succeeds beyond any expectations suggested by the title. May, may I salute you, uh, first of all, by your incredible research that you've done for this interview by Googling Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> I think that's, uh, you've really uh, had an absolute gem there. So, uh, <laughs> well, that's off, mate. I hope that you succeed beyond any expectations suggested by your title, Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, let me know if you can come to the show next week. We'll catch up. Continue the banter. Yes, absolutely, mate. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Tom. You're a great bloke and an even better DJ, perhaps just as good a bloke as DJ. <laughs> <laughs> mate, such a pleasure. This is this interview uh, has, has, I'm going to put it in the, the past and the right now, best interview ever. Oh, my days. Tom. I'll make sure if, <laughs> not to edit that out. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. I'll see you on the 6th. Thanks, Harry. Cheers, Tom. Good on you. Now, we've had a, a, some fan mail that's been sent in. We better have a read of that. It's only the polite thing to do. When you get fan mail, you, you bloody well have to read it. Um, now, this particular one comes from uh, Cole Newman. He says, I've been booted out of a Facebook group in Melbourne of which its primary focus is sharing where my key inspectors are. I believe I've been hard done by on this unprecedented booting over a comment that read, Sparta kick him out the doors in response to a post that was containing a story of a homeless man vomiting and cursing on a northern tram. I want a decanter of banter with Harry Ravel Lee to take the issue to the general public and have me reinstated in this group so I can continue to extort the public transport system. Now, uh, for those of you at home in Queensland, what the MyKey card is, it's a little bit like our Go card. But um, it's a little bit slicker, you know, it's a little bit more corporate, a little bit more blue chip. Um, the MyKey card. Um, and in fact, I do I have have a MyKey card that I kept from my last trip down. It doesn't even look like a travel card. It's sort of like, um, you know how uh, two people talking loudly about property investment um, get out their MyKey cards. But, you know, two people with swollen craniums from playing too much rugby league, you know, they're 40-year-olds with the brain power of a... A 10-year-old who's been held back a grade in school, you know, they get out their go cards. Now, I've had my fair share of um, questionable encounters on public transport. I remember being on a bus on the Gold Coast when uh, a couple of junkies got on um, just themselves, no go card, just themselves, a bag of muesli and a pot of yogurt. And as they sat there um, mumbling, spilling uh, yogurt and, and muesli all over the seat and floor, and as I got off the bus at my stop, I just said to the driver, I'm sorry, man. And he looked at me um, with eyes that just said, help me. Um, so I don't have much patience for people who are, you know, defacing our public buses. Um, 
they call they call it the the tragedy of the commons. Really, you know, if if you owned a bus and it was your bus, you wouldn't you wouldn't flick boogers on it. You wouldn't spill yogurt and muesli on it because you'd have to clean it up yourself. It's your bus and you take pride in it. But when everyone shares the bus, what do you have? Teens bloody defacing it with graffiti. Um, and you have homeless people vomiting and cursing, according to Mr. Newman. Now, um, my 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 uh, my problem here is that there's obviously uh, one rule for the poor, another for the rich. Because I've got a feeling that um, you know, if if this particular person who was vomiting and cursing on the tram down in Melbourne was a white collar worker, a man in a suit working for a corporate bank. You know, I don't think people would take much offence to a comment like Sparta kick him out the doors. Um, because what 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 uh, some people, uh, I'm not going to say, um, you know, people on the left wing, but I am going to say people on the left wing just with not in front of it. Um, they've normalised violence in a way because they, they found it um, almost pornographic watching videos about you know Nazi you know neo Nazis getting punched in the face. It'd be all oh, awesome video of a neo Nazi getting punched. But then again, who becomes the arbiter of which views um, you know deserve uh, which political outlooks deserve um, you know a punch to the face? Who becomes the arbiter of that? Because everyone has their own opinion. Um, you know, violence is never good. It's objectively bad. Um, and so, what I have a problem with is this: the people, the administrators of this particular Facebook page, have taken upon themselves to say, "Mr. Cole Newman," um, in referring to you know kicking a homeless man, Sparta kicking him out the doors of the bus, um, warrants removal from this page. And obviously, this um, this administrator of the of this Mikey uh, page has. A, a severe dislike of public transport because they obviously support the dodging of uh, payment of tickets, you know, by having this page, but they also obviously support the vomiting and cursing on trams because they they have rejected the idea of kicking you know, someone who does these activities on trams off the tram. Now, in Brisbane, if this was Brisbane in the 1960s when we still had trams, um, this would not fly. Um, I don't know what's going on down there in Melbourne. I don't know what's going on down there in Melbourne. I, I, I'm up here in the Sunshine State, very worried about what's going on down there. They, I've seen the ads on television. They're, they're advertising. They're saying, oh, Melbourne, a twist at every turn. And every turn happens to be to the left. I think Melbourne needs to turn to the right. I think if there's ever the downfall of civilization, I think we'll trace it back. at Humans 2.0, they'll get all their forensics out, um, their dusters, and they'll trace back the, the downfall of all civilization um, to Melbourne, to the center of Melbourne. Um, I, I hear down there they have you know, about 10,000 people march to the streets um, because some economic migrants are held in a detention center and refusing to get on a complimentary flight home. Um, and I'm assuming amongst that 10,000 people, there's one really attractive greeny girl and 9,999 um, sweaty guys trying to get in her pants. Um, now, it, also Queensland, uh, we, we, we advertise our, our state as well and we say, you know, beautiful one day, perfect the next. Uh, the trouble is we, we advertise all over Queensland. Um, you know, it's all through uh, Queen Street Mall and in the CBD of Brisbane. It's like we, we know this. We, we, we live here. We know it's perfect um, every day. But um, 
Yes, it's it's just a little bit concerning what's going on down there in Melbourne. And I'll tell you this. I am going to do a broadcast in. A broadcast in. This is a world first. I am not going off air until uh, Mr. Cole Newman is reinstated into this MyKey uh, fee aversion group um, because he did not deserve to be kicked out of that group. He was exercising his right to free speech. Um, and I'm not a not that big on human rights. I mean, people speak of human rights. They say, oh, you know, free, freedom of privacy, freedom of speech. When, when you're sailing uh, in near the Cayman Islands and and you're, you're, you get shipwrecked and you have to swim to shore to an uninhabited island, there's no one there, your cell phone's lost in the water and you have to fight off dangerous animals each evening and find food. Where are your human rights then? Where are your human rights when you're in the middle of the savannah um, in Africa and you're face to face with a lion. Does the lion go, oh, sorry, you've got a human right to free speech. I won't eat you. you say what you need to say. Um, no. Nature, what they've implied into our constitution, an implied right of uh, political communication. Um, so, God, this is getting off topic and quite dry, really. So I might just play a song. Um, Amy Winehouse, nonetheless. Uh, so, Cole Newman, I'm not going off air until... You get back into that group. When we were at our high- Denmark versus France. Uh, the score is. Spelt the ball. Heel goed naar Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp neemt de bal aan. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Nil all. The the controversy about the the ban on plastic bags has come in a bit early at Woolworth stores. They've said we're going to jump the gun here. Now I was looking for an alternative to dairy milk. Uh, there's something a little bit offensive about dairy milk when I th- really think about it. I mean, how would you feel if a cow came up and drank, you know, your mum's breast milk? You'd be so angry. You'd do something crazy like kill and eat the cow. Um, so I went, to, I went, I've tried everything. I tried soy milk. It gave me um, too much estrogen. I grew breasts and became emotional. And... I tried uh, rice milk. There's too much sugar in that. I broke out into spots. I tried everything. And then I saw in a little corner of the supermarket down the bottom, oat milk. And it, it glistened in the supermarket lights. So I put that straight in my basket and haven't looked back. But I go down the other day on my lunch break at work and I say, oh, I might just go and get some oat milk. And you know what? I'll go all the way to the the Woolworths, it's a better, bigger walk. Maybe I'll bump into some people. I don't know. This is a nice day for a walk. So I go to this really far away Woolworths and I get my oat milk and I go to the checkout and the fellows, and I say, look, yeah, just the oat milk, thanks. And the fellow says, no worries. Did you bring a, uh, did you bring a bag? And I said, <laughs> did Abel bring a bag when he killed his brother Cain? No, God gave him two hands for that. No worries, mate. And um, so I picked up the oat milk and I started walking and then I suddenly realised that every single person who passed me by on my walk back to the office was going to know that I was an oat milk drinker. Um, walking around carrying oat milk, I might as well have had a T-shirt on with the slogan, I cry during sex. I was walking down the street, I was walking past hot girls, I was giving them the sexy eyes, and they were giving me these cute smiles, and they'd look at my chest, they'd look at my arms, and they'd look at my oat milk and go, oh no! Um, And I'll tell you what, 
I won't be forgetting my green bag ever again. Now, amongst the sea of shrill cries of foul from the kinds of people whose tweets get shown on Q&A and who listen to Triple J religiously that drown out the common sense in the world emerges one singular voice of reason, the voice of a decanter of banter. Music journalism is a bit of a bore, really. Um, we don't really need it. I mean, I think one of the um, most wasteful ways in which you could um, use your, your computer's data is to read a single review. Oh, he, someone's put out a single, and I'm going to review it. In the time it takes to read the single review, you could just listen to the bloody song and make up your own mind anyway. Um I get, I get. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of um, criticism. You know, going an in-depth analysis into an album. You know, the themes, the structure. Uh, you know, the the direction the band's taken. Um, but you can't really get any of that juice out of a single review. Um, and yet, so a lot of these websites, they do do those sort of things, and they they put out a headline that says, you know, sticky fingers cause controversy by headlining this festival. Uh, people are offended and blah, 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 blah. Um, and you wonder, you wonder if the world's burning because of sticky fingers have decided to headline a music festival. But what's really happening is these media organisations, they, they invent news because basically it wouldn't be a headline if it said, you know, sticky fingers headline a music festival and no one really has a problem with it at all. That's not a headline. Um, it's like... Uh, when Bert, when Bute, when when you know when Bert Newton at the Logies, um, on uh, on what was it a couple of nights ago? He 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 said a joke that it it, it said they said oh the joke trivialised the hashtag Me Too movement, um, and he had to apologise the next day. And it's sort of like well that's not going to be a headline, is it? Um, Bert Newton says mildly humorous joke at the Logies, and no one actually minds that much at all, you know. It's a headline when you say, Bert Newton says controversial joke, people are up in arms, you know. Um, so more people click on your, your, your silly news article. I, I want to know where these people are. Like it, like, so if, if there's a million people that watch a certain show, and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying a million people are watching the Logies, all right, um, but say there were a million, and, I'm, and this is strictly theoretical, um, uh, there were a million watching and then, and then w- two Two got offended at, at a particular joke. You can, that's when you can legally say people are offended at what this person said. You know, um, but one of the other things was that there's a there's a lady uh, who's hosting the, the World Cup on SBS at the moment, and um, she's doing a fantastic job of pronouncing the the players' names. Basically, she's carrying on the legacy of the great Les Murray, the late great Polish Les Murray, um, uh, by pronouncing the names not just correctly uh, phonetically but actually in the accent of the national language of that person's country. Um, it's it's really great stuff. It's essentially like saying, instead of saying Volkswagen, you go Volkswagen because in Germany they don't say were. You know, great stuff like that. And um, basically um, a lot of, all these people are coming out and defending her saying, oh, um, people have abused her for, for saying the names correctly. Everyone's like, how crazy? Who, I mean, who the hell... 
who the hell makes fun of someone for pronouncing names correctly? And I'm sitting here going, yeah, exactly, who the hell? And I'm reading all these articles saying all these people rushing to her defence, but no one is quoting the people who actually came out and, in inverted commas, abused her for saying names correctly. It's all spiralled out of control. Was it just, like, if one person tweets, you know, saying something, uh, you know, taking the piss out of her for for saying the names correctly, um, now there's this whole um, wealth of people in the world who are making fun of her, I, I read quite a few articles. And I was just trying to find out who's been who's been making fun of her, and there was no evidence that anyone ever had. Um, so this is a sign of the worlds we live in today. So basically, I was watching. Uh, uh, there's a band that I do like, and they're called Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever, and we'll hear from them in a moment. I'm not actually sure if they're friends of Brisbane. I go down to my local record store, Working Horse Records. They're friends of Four Triple Z. And and I say, have you got the uh, the new Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever album? And they say, no, um, we're not sure why we haven't got it. Um, everyone else has got it down in Sydney and Melbourne, but we, we haven't got it yet. And um, and they don't know why. So basically, Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever have made um, the executive decision to not uh, obviously send their vinyl to, to Brisbane. So they're not friends of Brisbane. And basically, I was watching, the, they did a live set on KXP Radio, uh, I think that's in Seattle, and and they and the lady said, "So, what is there anything thematically uh, coherent with the, with the album and the songs?" And and they said, "Oh yes, um, the, the songs are sort of political, but not overtly political. You know, they're born from tumultuous times, tumultuous times in inverted commas." And my heart sunk, almost threw up. I said, one of the things I always loved about uh, Rolling Blackout's Coastal Fever and moving forward, moving forward we will call them RBCF, um, was that they, they never sounded political to me. I thought, that's fantastic. Here we have an inner city Melbourne band, yet they don't seem to be, you know, uh, you know, one of those political sort of left-wing bands, so it's great. And it just showed how naive I was. You know, I should have known better that, you know, an inner city Melbourne band would eventually do this. And it's like, it's like marrying a rugby league player and going, he's different. He won't cheat on me or do cane with local teenagers. Um, and then, you know... You're the fool. Yeah, there's a rugby league player. So they've said, oh, the music was born in tumultuous times. And I'm sitting there going, geez, guys, RBCF. RB, WTF, RBCF. What, I mean, what are these tumultuous times? Are, there, are, there, are these are the tumultuous times you, you speak of? Is it the fact that Bert Newton has to formally apologising... Uh, has to formally apologise after making a joke that trivialises the, the hashtag MeToo movement at the Logies. At the Logies. If someone makes a joke that trivialises the uh, hashtag MeToo movement um, in the forest and no one hears it, um, does anyone actually make a joke that trivialises the hashtag MeToo movement? Um, that's, I mean, that's essentially what the Logies are. Um, why, why does he refer to these times as tumultuous. These inner city um, Melbourne people, they, they got their storms and teacups down there. Is it, is it because there are a handful of economic migrants from Manus Island? Or is it because we still um, have the day off on the 26th? Are these the tumultuous times? I get these aren't, these aren't good things, but then again, every year, every day at any time in, in the whole of history, there's a, a couple of bad things going on. Um, this isn't exactly the Cold War. There's no Vietnam War raging, you know. There's no Melbourne storm breaching the salary cap here, guys. Um, 
you know, God forbid if they were making music in those times, what, what would they be doing? Just, they'd be just doing dark, bloody drone ambient music. The, the, the times would be so tumultuous. They, they can't even make lyrics for the song. They'd just be there going, doing Tibetan bloody throat singing because the times are so tumultuous. They can't even make music. Yeah, they're going to st- stand there in Seattle telling this radio host that their music is uh, political but not overtly political um, and born of the tumultuous times in Australia. Um, Earth to RBCF. I mean, these, these are pretty good times we live in. They're pretty bloody good times. You know, you're a band, you're playing gigs, you're you know, going around Australia, you end up in Seattle. Obviously, things are working pretty well. Back in the 80s in Brisbane, you'd go to see a local band and the police would storm in and beat everyone up. Um, those are that, now That's a tumultuous time. Um, anyway, look, so the whole point is uh, enough about tumultuity. I can still like their music. I still like them. I'm going to separate them from their music and I think that's what you need to do with Sticky Fingers and their music. Um, the people want to listen to Sticky Fingers and you've got to play it. And that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to play some Sticky Fingers and then after that, we're going to do some back-to-back music toys. And um, people were saying, please, Robbie, don't play the opening ceremony. It's all for Putin and Putin has killed people. Um, they said it's blood money because Putin has killed people. Um, how many bombs did Obama drop in the Middle East? Um, look, people say... You, the people said, Robbie Williams, do not do it. It is blood money. Um, look, if you're selling cupcakes in some, you know, uh, charity uh, cupcake stand, right, um, do you only sell them to good people? Do you, do you do a background check on everyone you sell your cupcakes to? You know, sorry, have you been convic- convicted of any uh, drink driving offences? Oh, no, oh, this, is blood, this is blood money if I accept your money for this cupcake, all right? No, you're doing a service, right? You're trying to get by. You need, you're saying, I need to sell my cupcakes to make a living. Well, there's Robbie, right? He's doing it tough. Um, he hasn't had a hit since the early 2000s. Maybe he... Needs to play a gig at the opening ceremony to, to put some food on the table for his, no doubt, many kids to many different women in many different countries. Um, you know, uh, Robbie Williams dances, he sings, and he has threesomes every night. Um, I mean, people... Uh, I mean, if I had one interview with Robbie Williams, I would ask Robbie, <laughs> Robbie, how many? And he would say, well, how many this morning? Today, this week, and I'd be like, Robbie, how many? And he'd say, mate, I've banged nine girls today. And I said, no, no, Robbie, how many wheat picks? How many wheat picks do you do? You, you seedy old man. But um, so basically, what's transpired now is that Vladimir Putin has been uh, uh, having private shows with Robbie Williams. He's been inviting Robbie Williams over from the UK to perform privately for Putin and his friends. And people have found out about this. And they've gone, Robbie Williams has become Putin's dancing monkey. He's become his right-hand man. Um, Putin's just been sitting there in his in his throne, just firing bullets in the air as Robbie Williams dances. He's been going, sing faster, Robbie, sing faster. And um, basically, it begs the question, what makes Putin such a big fan of Robbie Williams? Um, you know, uh, is it that Putin just wants to feel real love? Is it that Putin wants to be a better man? Um, is it that Putin, you know, whatever it was that he said, whatever it was that he did, 
he just wants her back again. Um, he obviously has perhaps a man crush on Robbie Williams, but all that aside, it's great for Robbie. He's got a, a second wind to his career. Um, there's no hits for a while, and to tap into the ruthless dictator market and Tom, this is this is called the the L Tom Jones. He's done he's done the L Tom Jones and uh, uh, started performing for for dictators because it's a little bit like when soccer players. Um, this is pertinent with the World Cup on at the moment. When soccer players, they play in Europe, they earn good money, and they're, they're playing in the top leagues. And that's if you want to become a legend, you have to prove yourself on the biggest stages. But when you're sort of in the twilight of your career, sort of, sort of when you know, if you're a racehorse, they start to ship you off to the, the glue factory at this stage. But if you're a human and you can't be turned into glue, uh, you move to America or China, and you get paid really good money, sometimes even more than you are getting paid in the top leagues of Europe. Uh, how about Little Birdie? Hairdo, wow! This is a great song. Um, and it's, a, it's a really great sentiment. It, this is about this is what I was getting at earlier before. Love is not pragmatic. It's not about hairdos. It's not about cigarettes. And that's what Little Birdie is here to tell you now. It's just about who you are. It's not about what you say, what you do. Um, how you react to situations or your personality. It's about who you are. None of those other things. Not about not about how you treat your family or how you, you know, treat people with respect. It's about who you are. So I saw a man walking down the street the other day. Uh, he had a happy retirement balloon in one hand and a big bag of uh, bread rolls in his right hand. And I was thinking, wow... What a time to be alive. You get to retire and have more time, have more time for the things you really love doing, like carb loading. Or maybe they weren't actually his bread rolls or his, you know, his happy retirement balloon. Maybe it was a colleague's happy retirement. He was just bringing the bread rolls and saying, look, in token of your contribution to the company, I would like to offer you this packet of bread rolls. <laughs> 